No one has ever been that excited to hear me speak in the history of speaking. Good morning, everyone. I've been traveling. I'm really tired. I got back a couple days ago in the middle of the night. Still have a bit of a cough, so forgive me if I have to cough a few times. And uh, Let's do this. Let's pray together to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. Jesus, we thank you for your great sacrificial love. We thank you that you died in our place. We thank you that your wounds heal us. Holy Spirit, come to that place for us here this morning. We pray that you would speak to us. The flower fades, the grass withers and fades, but your word stands forever. And there's nothing deficient in your word. It's all sufficient for our lives, not just in the big picture, but for today, for this afternoon, for this week and this month, and on into eternity. So Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, come, we ask, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I love this series that we're in, and Elijah gave me the privilege of closing the series on, what's the name, I don't even know, okay, lead people, and I, okay, just because I didn't remember the name doesn't mean I don't love it and don't, you know, all those things, uh, because evangelism is very close to my heart, because really that's what we've been talking about. Elijah's talking about inviting people to come, uh, not just because we want to grow foundry, that is one reason, but because we have a calling as a church, once God fills us up with his Holy Spirit, he pours us out into the world to bring healing to the world, to transfer people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's what this is all about. It's not just about filling a building and filling seats. And so what I want to talk about this morning is sharing our faith and evangelism, and I, I hope to give us six things to help us overcome awkwardness or trepidation in sharing our faith. So if you have notes that you take, we're going to go through the six things uh, to help overcome awkwardness of sharing our faith or inviting people. Some of you may say, I'm really thrilled about handing people this, this connect card or this invitation card, but I don't know what they're going to think of me. Are they going to think I'm a weirdo? And there's a bit of awkwardness or maybe fear or, again, trepidation in doing that. And so, but before even jumping into those six things to help us overcome this awkwardness, I want to kind of lay a, a theological foundation for why it is that we're called outward. That we're not, when, when we become Christians, we don't just invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to heal us and to make us new. We invite him into our lives to heal us and to make us new so that he can then use us in his kingdom. That's the whole idea. That he makes us holy not so that our lives can be better and happier and healthier, that is one thing that happens, but so that he can use us as agents of transformation and change into the world. And so I want to talk very briefly in this introduction about this Latin phrase that's been a part of the church for centuries called the Missio Dei. And let me, let me pause as I see the McCartney sitting back there. A lot of what I'm going to share this morning, uh, we talked about in our small group, which is the best, not Elijah's group, just to make that really clear. Elijah is the father of all lies. Elijah, right? Elijah. And um, so we talked about this a bit a couple weeks ago. For those of you who are part of that, this is a bit of review and repeat. So, so the Latin phrase I want to give you that's really been an important part of who the church is through the centuries is missio dei. Uh, missio, spelled like it sounds, dei is not spelled D-A-Y, but D-E-I. Does anyone know, I don't know some of you have taken Latin and you know Latin really well, so does anyone know who hasn't had Mary Friedman as their Latin teacher what this phrase missio dei means? means the mission of God. 
the mission of God. And typically when we think of this phrase, mission of God, certain ideas come to mind, which they should because phrases are connected to ideas. And normally what we think about when we hear mission of God, we think about the fact that God sends us on mission, normally. And as a missionary in Haiti, 13 years with my wife and my family, um, you know, that's a part of, that certainly is a part of the mission of God, that God sends people. Now think about the word mission. What do you usually think of? What kind of ideas come to mind when you think of this word mission? Well, normally we think of like cross-cultural missions. We have missionaries in the church. Right, Mike? We have missionaries. And usually when we think of this word missionary, we think of people who are sent to faraway places, probably that have been unreached by the gospel. They're learning exotic languages like Mississippi English. And they're learning... (laughs) I don't know what Mike could means. I'm still trying to figure that out. This Mike could... What does that even mean? Right? There's, y'all have some weird... So the, the whole... I, I never plan jokes in my sermons, but this is just coming to mind. Did y'all watch this Mississippi State championship game last game? And people were holding up a sign that says, Dogs finna eat. Dogs finna eat. What in the world? Exotic languages and exotic places. The dogs are fixing to eat is what that means, I I suppose, which somehow translates into we're going to win today. (laughs) And eating weird food, um, cheese grits and stuff, and... They're good. They're good. I just didn't have them growing up, you know? Um... And, you know, being in, like, where we were, we were a minority, right? Every, it was a 98% African nation, not African, but came from Africa, black nation, and we were the minority. Um, no air conditioning, so it was really hot, and our kids are running around barefoot in this climate culture. And so, usually when we think of missionaries, this is the kind of stuff that we think about normally. And, Mike, you've had these experiences going to, to Africa. Anyone here been on an overseas exotic place mission trip, like Latin America, Okay, wonderful. So you all, and this is what we think about when we think of the mission of God or missionaries, but we can even talk about domestic or local missions and we say that we've done a mission trip here in Jackson. Sometimes that could be going and partnering with We Will Go. Anyone here from We Will Go today? We don't have any We Will Go folks here today. Okay, we need to invite them next week. Um, It's a mission in downtown Jackson. I'm sure you all are familiar with it. And uh, maybe playing basketball with the kids or donating, you know, food items for their pantry. We think of service to the world. And that is all true about what mission is. But even when we talk about the mission of God, that's secondary to a primary meaning of what mission of God means. What this phrase mission of God means, it talks about, first that word mission means not service, but it means to be sent. So when we say mission of God, we're talking about the sentness of God. The fact that God sends, but also God himself was sent, right? This is the theological foundation for evangelism and sharing our faith. But before God sent any of us anywhere to do anything on behalf of him and for him, God himself was sent, And what's the great example in Scripture of God being sent into the world? Starts with a C and ends with Christmas. Christmas. Elijah's really just sharp, polished, intelligent, and Advent. God came in the form of a baby, the incarnation, Jesus. 
right? So God the Father, we worship the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent God the Son, the sentness of God. Jesus, as God, was sent into the world. And then God was sent another time after that. Starts with a P, this one. When was the second time? Yeah, Cody, Pastor Cody knows his theology and his Bible. Pentecost, where God the Father and God the Son sent the Holy Spirit, right, into the church. We're going to mention Pentecost a little bit more today because it's an important part of overcoming awkwardness for sharing our faith, this great moment where the apostles who are once fearful and timid and scared and locked in an upper room, are they going to kill us now too? And next thing you know, they're preaching boldly, sharing their faith. Holy Spirit helps us, right? It's one of the six things that helps us overcome this awkwardness. And so, but in Pentecost, God the Father and God the Son sends the Spirit. And so we have God the Father sending the Son at Christmas. We have God the Father and the Son sending the spirit and even before God created anything even before he had a created world to be sent into the trinity itself was sending love between one another anyone here heard of the great theologian Saint Augustine raise your hand Oh, I saw Heather's hand shoot right up there Heather uh, it's her great uncle I think Saint Augustine she knows him well <laughs> and uh He said this, that the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between God the Father and God the Son, which means that even before the the infinite ongoing time of creation, before he even created anything, the Father was sending love to the Son, and the Son was sending love back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit was that bond of love who was being sent. So here's what I'm getting at. We worship a God who is in the business of sending And when we become Christians, we join that community. And so if God not only sends the Son and sends the Holy Spirit, you better believe he's going to send us too. Because not only is it his business, it's his very nature. He wouldn't be God if he didn't send. And so, you know how how this works. When we become Christians, the symbol of baptism, new life in Jesus, we consume the bread, the body, and the blood. Jesus is in us, and we are in him. We become one with Christ through the Holy Spirit. We join into that Holy Trinity fellowship when we become Christians. And that fellowship, that communion that we just joined, never doesn't, double negative, sorry, never doesn't send people. When you join that fellowship, you better believe you're sent because his very nature is that he's ascending God. What am I saying here? We're all sent. We're all sent to someone or to somewhere. It's what it means to be a Christian. You can't be in this holy fellowship without having a passport. It's one of the first things he gives you, to go. Does that make sense this morning? And so part of our Objective here in this sermon series is for us to discern together individually to whom is God sending me. Stacy's one of her favorite, most recent jokes. What does the British owl say? Whom? Whom? <laughs> to whom is God sending? That's terrible, Cody. I'm sorry. To whom is God sending? So, Cody, who is he sending you to? Noah, who is he sending you to? Elijah, who is he sending? Or where is he sending you to? Some of you are at college right now, and maybe that's where he sent you to right now. Some of you are in your workplace, and that's the place that he sent you to. So part of the, the discovery of the sermon series is discerning together on an individual level to where and to whom God has sent us. Because if you're part of this Holy Trinity thing, and you are if you're in Jesus, you're sent somewhere. You're sent somewhere or to someone. 
really important. Okay, but not only individually, but also collectively as a church. God has sent foundry to this place. It's not just an idea that someone had. It's like, no, God, just like he sent Jesus, he sent us as a church to who? To where? Right here in Flowood, Jackson metro area. And maybe one day, hopefully, we'll send missionaries out of Foundry Church to Asia and to Africa and to Latin America and to Russia and to Eastern Europe. What an idea. That excites me this morning. Not just individually, but as a church. And to whom has he sent us? When I look around the room and see your wonderful faces except for Elijah's ugly mug, I think, God sent us here for these. Like, here's the thing, y'all. Pay attention to this. God sent Foundry here for you. For you. And for your friends. He sent Jesus for us. He sent Paul for the Gentiles. He sent Peter for the Jews. And he sent Abraham for the nations. Who, what's your calling? What's our calling as a church? Because he sends. We serve a God who sends. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. amen. That's the first thing I wanted to say to lay a theological foundation for the very fact that it's not an option. It's who we are in our very nature. We're sent and we should be sending as a church. And I applaud church leadership, Elijah, for reminding us of this in this series that we're sent. Okay, now here's the thing. Let's take a step. Second part of the introduction is sharing our faith and going to people is awkward. Is it not? The question I ask is why? Why is it awkward? Because where we lived in Haiti, it wasn't awkward at all to ask people, hey, are you a Christian? Like it was a normal, you could sit down next to someone in a, when I say taxi, it's more like a bus. It's, it's really a pickup truck with a cover on it. And it's no problem saying, hey, are you worshiping the devil or are you worshiping Jesus? It's just a normal everyday part of life. So it's culturally conditioned. In fact, we'd be at church services. And when I first got to Haiti, this was really awkward and uncomfortable for me, which is telling about my culture. The pastor would stand up and say, who here is not a Christian? Raise your hand. And they would raise their hand, no embarrassment, say, did you come here to become a Christian today? And sometimes the answer was not yet. In front of everyone, I'm talking churches of thousands of people sitting there. Raise it, well, not yet, or yes, I've come here to become a Christian. And pastor would come down, sorry, get your nasty foot off this chair here. That's a joke, Jake. Jake's never wearing shoes. He'd say, okay, come up, and we're gonna, we're gonna pray for you, Right? We're not just trying to fill this church, Elijah. We're trying to get people in this chair. We don't want to grow by attrition because people don't like the worship over here. They're not in the United Methodism. I don't know about that. We want to get people into this church who are leaving the kingdom of darkness. That's what we want. Now, attrition's good too <laughs> in some ways because God moves in different seasons and in different times. But, this, but in Haiti, it's not awkward. It's perfect. In fact, they kind of be insulted if you don't ask people what their spiritual persuasion is. Are you a pastor? Yes, I am. Why is it so awkward here? Why is it? And here, it's because of our culture. And we are a hyper-individualistic culture. We are a hype. In Haiti, we're all in this together. We all have the same needs. We all have the same desires. And by the way, that's true of us too, even though the devil likes to make us think that's not true, that we're all different and unique. We are different and unique, but the bottom line is we're all made of the same stuff. We all have the same needs. We all have the same frustrations. We all have the same worries and fears. We're all together on this. But in America, in Western culture, we're hyper-individualistic, which means that that's private. 
and our culture and even our government tells us, you don't talk about that. You know what the problem with that is? That's the work of the devil. The devil loves that we're scared to share our faith. The devil loves that it's awkward for us and there's a sense of fear of you're not allowed to ask that question. How dare you ask me that question? Well, here's the thing. Which culture are you a part of? The devil's or God's? That's, it's, it's really that simple. And again, I hope to give us tools for overcoming this awkwardness because there are some practical ways for us to think about this. But a part of why it's awkward is just because of our culture, hyper-individualized culture. Here's the thing. Jesus was countercultural. This is kind of a cliche thing to say. Jesus was countercultural. Let me give you an example. John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, Jesus sits down in a well in Samaria, and a woman comes, and he talks to her. He said, and she says, who are you, a Jew, to talk to me? So Jesus is countercultural. Even the disciples who later on join the conversation, they're like whispering, why is he talking to her? You're not supposed to do that. So, yes, Jesus is countercultural. That tells us that he's going to lead us to be countercultural as well because he came to get rid of the kingdom of darkness and to bring in a kingdom of light. And how's that going to happen if we, his followers, don't follow in his manner of being countercultural? And here's the thing think about it. Okay, Jesus was countercultural in that instance. But was he really that? Is that just one example? Guys, he died because he was countercultural. That's why they killed him. Because he said things and did things you just weren't supposed to do. And here's another thing I want to point out right here and right now, talking about Jesus' death. Talk about being awkward and uncomfortable. He hung on a cross for us. You're not willing to share your faith? That's embarrassing. He felt awkward and uncomfortable hanging there naked in front of everybody and in an extreme amount of pain for the sake of a, a bigger picture kingdom of God coming. If he hung on a cross, are you ready to share your faith with someone? Is that something that you can do to reciprocate his love for you? One of the... Eddie's smiling. Eddie, say amen. amen. <laughs> Sir Edward of York, Yorkfordshire. I've renamed him. Jesus renames people. I rename people too. <laughs> One of the six things, that's actually the last thing that I'm going to talk about to help us overcome our awkwardness in sharing our faith, is we do it because we love Jesus, and that's enough. Why did Jesus suffer the awkwardness of the cross? Because he loves us. It's that simple. And he was, well, also being obedient to the Father, but he loved us enough. Do you love him enough to be countercultural and to say, let me tell you about this guy Jesus I've met, you know, and then the Samaritan woman at the well, she is also an example for us when she runs back to her village and tells everyone about this guy she just met. Well, that's going to make a lot of people feel awkward because she doesn't have the best track record with relationships with men. And now she's like, hey, guys, I met another man. Here we go. <laughs> but guess what? She did it. Are you willing to do it? Share that card, y'all. Let's, let's go a little bit further. Jesus is countercultural. He died for us as soccer. Now, overcoming the nervousness, the fear, the trepidation of, first off, the devil's a liar. Let's put that out of the way. Every idea that comes into mind, well, what if I share my, what if, what if, they're all lies. They're all lies. We have to get, so let's counteract those lies with some truths about sharing our faith. Here's the first thing that helps us overcome awkwardness or fear in inviting people to church or sharing our faith. It's his work, not yours. That's really important. 
One of the greatest confessions is Peter's confession, where Jesus was standing with him at Caesarea Philippi, and he says, Peter, who do people say that I am? And he says, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Peter Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. When we share our faith We are not the ones doing the work. God has been and is doing a deeper work in that person or that community's life. That's not our responsibility. Our job is to not make, it's not our job to make sinners saints. Our job is to just offer an invitation. It's his work. Paul tells us that people aren't Christians. They haven't accepted Jesus as their savior, not because they just don't agree with the rationalism of theism and monotheism, but because the devil has blinded them and deafened them to hear and understand the gospel. And the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, is the only one who can liberate them from that stronghold. All we do is offer the message. Blessed are the feet of he who runs on the mountaintop with the message of good news. It's his work. It's not our work. God's prevenient grace is at work and in people's lives. We just simply participate with it. This is what we see in the story of uh, Pentecost, coming back to Pentecost. I promise he would. And here's what we see. Before the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples are cowering in the room. And by the way, everything that God's been doing up to this point has been his redemption plan, not their redemption plan, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes, and what, what people usually pay attention to in the day of Pentecost, still on the first point, it's his work, not our work, right? Usually what people pay attention to is like the charismatic outpouring of gifts at Pentecost. People start speaking in tongues and languages they don't understand, The people are like, these guys are drunk. By the way, People will think you're crazy when you share your faith. And that's what happened on Pentecost, and that's what will continue to happen. Guess what? Be drunk for Jesus. Oftentimes in the scriptures, Christians are accused of being crazy or even inebriated. And Paul says, drink of the Holy Spirit. Be drunk with the Holy Spirit to the point where a whole new you comes out who was once cowering in a locked upper room, afraid of what they were going to do to you as a Jesus follower, and now you're preaching the gospel in languages you've never learned. The greatest thing about Pentecost isn't the languages or even the wind and the fire. The greatest thing is that Jesus was preached. That's the greatest thing. It's his work. It's not our work. Not only Pentecost, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. I'm going to come back to this one a couple times. It's a wonderful example of how to do evangelism. I said a moment ago that she went back to her village and told everyone about this conversation that she's had with this guy. And remember that at this point in history, people were waiting a long time for the Messiah to come, kind of like us today. How long have we been waiting for Jesus to come back? 2,000 years, right? And so what if, let's say, someone of repute, Elijah, for example. Well, let's not go with that one. Someone of better repute, let's say Mike. (laughs) That's a joke. Y'all can laugh, you know? All right, so Mike comes in the back door and says, guys, outside the clouds just split open and Jesus has come down. He's here. He's returned. The trumpet sounded. Would you believe him? Yes. Somebody said no. (laughs) Sorry, Mike, I tried, man. (laughs) 
there's just not anyone here I can draw on. No, just kidding. Let's say the town prostitute comes in. The one that's been hanging out like at the corner of Lakeland, you know, that you've seen a thousand times. And they say, I don't mean anyone specific by that, by the way. She said, oh yeah, it's not that person you're thinking of. The person of ill repute. Hey y'all, this cloud's just, are you going to believe that? Probably not. When she went back to her village and said, hey guys, the Messiah's come, it says that the entire village believed. What does that tell you? It tells you that the effectiveness of being obedient, of sharing your faith, has nothing to do with you or your reputation. Reputation is important because the Bible says we are to be people above reproach and of good repute and all those things. But it's about the fact that the Holy Spirit was at work convicting hearts, not her. It's his work, not our work. And that was the case in that scenario. Does that make sense? When you share your faith, you're just being obedient out of love to Jesus, and God's the one doing the work in the background. If she can be effective to bring a whole village to foundry, you can too. Because it's his work, not your work. And when you don't share your faith, you underestimate not you, but him. Don't underestimate him. He'll bust your box wide open as soon as you try to put him in it. Okay, so number one, it's his work, not our work. First thing to help us overcome awkwardness and share. Second thing to help us overcome awkwardness and sharing our faith is directly connected to this. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us words. He gives us clarity. He gives us timing. And so I asked in our small group, you know, what are some of the things that prevent you from sharing our faith? And some, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up or do it wrong, or I won't be able to say it right, or I'll misrepresent things. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit helps us to say the right things. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit helps. The disciples preach boldly the good news of Jesus, the Samaritan woman at the well. The Holy Spirit helps the preaching. Now, here's another thing. Normally, when we think of the Holy Spirit's presence inside of our lives, we think of the Holy Spirit's presence as cleansing us from sin and freeing us from the power of sin inside of our lives. At least I think of it that way. But the Holy Spirit, there are a bunch of symbols for the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the Bible. Give me one. Symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. There's like five of them. Say it again, Cody. Yeah, wind is one. So we have that here at Pentecost. What's another one? A dove. Innocence, the Holy Spirit is life-giving wind, breath, and you know, vitalizes, sustains our faith in Jesus. He's our breath. Dove, innocence, and new creation. What's another one? Fire. I'm going to come back to that one. What's another one? Oil and water. But let's look at fire here for a minute. Fire is purifying. Fire is illuminating. Holy Spirit illumines our reading of the text. He illuminates our sin. He, helps, he convicts us of sin, shows us where our sin is, puts a flashlight on it. It's always like, ah, the cockroaches run out from everywhere. But here's the other thing. Fire also ignites. Here's what I'm getting at. The Holy Spirit doesn't just fill our lives to help us become holy, sanctify us, but he fills our lives to give us gifts to contribute to the growth of the kingdom. When God said, I want you to preach, I thought, there's no way I can preach. And I step on the stage and Holy Spirit just ignites me. Well, what's your ignition? What's your thing? 
Because one of the gifts is evangelism. And the Holy Spirit, when he asks us to do something, he helps us to do it. And here's what I'm a little bit excited about, Elijah. Some of y'all have the gift of evangelism and you don't even know it. Because sometimes he waits to reveal the gift until we take one step forward out of faith. Kind of like the River Jordan. I'm going to split the river. Okay, do it. Well, you got to put your foot in the river first, and then I'll split it. Well, that's different than, than the Red Sea. You just split it, and then we walk through. He goes, no, take a step out, and then something's going to happen. We have this coworker in Haiti, a fellow missionary, and she had the gift of evangelism and didn't even know it. She finally got up the courage to overcome the trepidation of sharing her faith, and there was a watershed moment. She couldn't stop evangelizing people, and it, was, it, it got embarrassing like, we'd be at the airport trying to get on the airplane. She's going through the security line. Hey, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? What church do you go to? It's like, I just want to get on this airplane. Some of y'all have this gift, and the Holy Spirit is waiting to show you. And I'm excited about this week. You go out and share your faith, and it may light a fire in you that no one can quench. The Holy Spirit helps us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number one, because it's his work. Number two, because the Holy Spirit ignites us. Number three... Here's a really simple one. What's the worst thing that can happen if you share your faith? What's the worst thing that can happen? Someone might make fun of you, think that you're a dummy. Someone might ostracize you. Guess what Jesus says is the best thing that can happen to you? Be persecuted for his sake. You participate in the suffering of Jesus when that happens. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Give me more things that are awkward to do in my culture. The worst thing that can happen in sharing your faith is the best thing that can happen. Persecution for the kingdom. Because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is why it's his work. Sometime, actually, not sometimes, every time, when the devil or demons or whoever it is persecutes God's people, when they're faithful to him, God turns it around and bears fruit out of it. So even if the person says, I'm not interested in that church stuff, you're a closed-minded, you know, evangelist, I'm not interested in that Go, yeah, keep coming. Because the more bad things you say about Jesus, the more fruit there will be because my God is that big and that sovereign. What's the worst thing that can happen, y'all? Persecuted. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted for my name's sake. I love this idea. I'm like, who can I find right now that can go and make fun of me for being a Christian because God's going to turn around and use it for good? Somehow, because he's that big. Number one, it's his work. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us. Number three, the worst thing that can happen is persecution. Number four, there's a satisfaction that comes with obedience that is indescribable. When we do what God tells us to do, there is this deep, deep joy and satisfaction. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? When you've done something for God and it's like, oh, this is a whole new level. This is not guilty pleasure. I got to watch YouTube videos or play Dungeons and Dragons guilty pleasure. This is like a whole new plane of human fulfillment is obedience to God. I'm like, Lord, just take me now because I'm, I'm just in that place. When we're, there's the, so Jesus, Jesus is sitting down at the well and this woman comes up that he's not supposed to talk to, and he's tired and he's exhausted. And let's say he shares his faith with her. A whole village is converted. And it says that he was tired, and his disciples went to get food for him while he was talking to her. 
And they come back with the food when they're finishing up their conversation. They say, Jesus, we got your food. It's almost like, guys, go get me a cheesesteak. What's your favorite food? Give me, Jake, don't say Subway. Give me something else. <laughs> like the thing that just hits the spot. Mashed potatoes. Shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits, good one. Owen, come on. Stacy would be like, I like a kale salad with raw carrots. <laughs> Sounds so good. She's like, yeah. I love Philly cheesesteaks. I'm from Philadelphia. And they show up. They say, Jesus, here's your cheesesteak. He goes, I don't even need it. I'm not even hungry. Because I just did what God asked, and that's enough. I know cheesesteak come close to that. There is nothing in your human experience, I don't care how old or young you are, that comes close to the satisfaction of simply being obedient. When he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's it. It's the best moment there is to live for. You know why? Because he's made us that way. All right. Number one, it's his work. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us. Number three, the worst thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen. Um, number four, satisfaction comes with obedience. Number five, we got two more, and we're going to squeeze them in here. Jesus commands us to. It's not a choice. The great, You know, we think of sin when we do things that we shouldn't do. It's also a sin when we do, don't do things that Jesus commands us to do. Elijah, give me an example of a sin of omission. When we do something, don't do something God tells us to do. Elijah said when we don't give our money to the church, like God tells us to, it's a sin. Let's give someone less of a conflict of interest an opportunity. Elijah said when we fail to love people, that's a great one. You know, love your enemies. When we don't do that, we're sinning. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when we don't do that, we're sinning. So the simple fact that he commands us to do it should help us to do it, or at least inspire us to do it. Let's not be sinners of omission. Last one, number six, to close. We do it. Another thing to overcome awkwardness or trepidation, because we love him. He asks us to do it. He commands us to do it. And we love him. And that love motivates me to overcome any fear or awkwardness or concern. Jesus is talking to Peter in John chapter 21, the end of John's Gospels. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that he asked him a third time. What, so, <laughs> what is the test of your love for Jesus? And like real love, three times asking you love. Do you really love me? I mean, this is an intense conversation. Imagine this is you, and Jesus is looking you in the face. You go, Lord, I love you. You're singing every Sunday, and Stephen's leading awesome worship, and you're all excited. Jesus shows up and goes, okay, you're excited at church, but do you love me? looking you straight in the eyes. Yes. No, no, no. Do you love me? Can you, can you picture the intensity of this moment? And what's the question that is the litmus test of whether or not Peter loves him? Do you feed my sheep? You can come to church all day long, but if you don't feed the sheep, you don't love him. If you don't obey him, you don't love him. But here's the thing. We do love him. Prove it. Go and share your faith. Does that make sense this morning? Love. 
Love or over, I, I, last night, I know I'm going a little late, sorry. We don't have another service, so we were hanging out at a friend's pool last night, and um, Ben started to go under. I don't want to say drown, because he sounds, um, sounds dramatic, but he was drowning. And <laughs> I jumped in fully clothed to save him. And I didn't have a shirt to wear the rest of the evening, because it was the only t-shirt I brought like a dummy. And uh, I know this body's sexy and everything, but I had to sit awkwardly by the pool. But you know what? I didn't care, because I love him. I'll do anything. I'd have jumped in naked if I had to. It doesn't matter, because he's my son, and I love him. It doesn't. Talk about overcoming awkwardness and go, oh, I don't think I'm going to get in there, because I don't want to get my shirt wet. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I don't want to share my faith because they might think I'm like not smart or something or I believe or I'm superstitious. Well, that's embarrassing. Jesus says, he who acknowledges me in front of people, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Let me add a seventh. It's not as hard as you think. We overcome evil by the word of our testimony. Just tell your story. What did Jesus do for you? Just tell that story. It's so easy. Jesus, the woman at the well, hey, can you get me a drink? You don't have a bucket. I've got better water than that. See how easy he did that? You see how easy he did that? You could turn to Jesus at any point in any conversation about anything. Get into an elevator with a stranger. You going up or down? <laughs> I'm going up. Where are you going? <laughs> There's a story of a pastor. This is Chip Henderson's story. Sharing his faith on a real hot beach. Actually, another guy sharing his faith on a beach during spring break with a bunch of college students. They were drunk. And uh, they're talking about faith. And they're belligerent and making fun of the guy. And, and he just pauses and goes... Man, it's so hot out here. They're like, yeah, it's hot out here. He's like, well, it's hotter where you're going. And flicks the card out. Of the, 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 you know. I don't know how you do it that way, but it's easier than you think. Follow the little promptings of the Holy Spirit. All right, so to, to really close, conclusion, number one, no question, we're sent. We're sent. You are sent. Put that to sleep. Like, don't doubt that. Don't question that. Don't reconsider that. God is sending you somewhere to someone. And the Holy Spirit will show you where and who. Number two, be obedient. And number three, have courage. You're sent. Be obedient and have courage. It's that simple. Okay, we're going to pray. Do we have more music? Music musicians, come up. And while you pray, this is what we're after. This is what we're after. I will make you fishers of men. Who's the person? Where's the place? Who are the people to get in this chair to say, I was once a part of the kingdom of darkness and now I'm a part of the kingdom of light. And God turns to you and says, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. Bless you.